Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. It's Fee here with another re-released episode for this week. And we are going back to our episode all on breeding with my good friend, Alison Murphy. The breeding side of the racing industry can be a little bit mysterious to most racing fans. So it was great to be able to sit down with Alison and have her give us an overview of how the breeding season works on the lovely stud farms that we have here in Australia and of course, New Zealand as well. So this is a really interesting one, a little bit uh, out of the box says it's not much to do with racing specifically but you know without our uh, stud farms and the very hard-working staff that work on them we don't have the racing so it's an important part to understand and a really interesting one so hope you guys enjoy this episode I did say that we would be back in February with fresh episodes but we're still just a couple of weeks off we've still got a few things just to nail down and then we will be back with some fresh content for you guys looking forward to it Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. We are back again with another episode of Ladies Who Punt. My name is Fiona Blair and I am with Grace Ramage, my co-host. Hi, Grace. Hi, everybody. Hello, Fee. Hello to the limited caps that we have left. There's not many on the shelf left, is there, Fee? I mean, they've been in absolutely high demand they have i've been yeah pleasantly surprised Same. by how many people have wanted some lwp merch and you know this is our first edition of merchandise yeah. like you're never going to get another chance to own a first edition <laughs> lwp merchandise. i mean it's probably like a chanel handbag <laughs> yeah it's a collector's <laughs> item yeah. so if you are keen to get yourself a cap you need to be in quick because they are flying out the door (laughs) they really are so that's been exciting over the past week um and you know it's one of the it's that time of year fee where we're really not far off the start of the spring carnival i know that sounds really strange because it's still extremely wintry outside but um not this saturday but the following saturday sort of the main kickoff day for the spring so things ramp up really quickly from here on out um but We just wanted to take this opportunity today to really explore an area that we have not charted into before. Definitely. It, like you say, it's we're getting into the busy time of year uh, for anyone involved in the racing and breeding industry. Mm -hmm. It's the 1st of August really is like New Year's Day. It's when the calendar ticks over and everything begins again. And yeah, we've decided to bring a feature episode on the breeding season, such an important part of racing because without our breeders, the staff that work so hard to get these horses on the ground, we don't have our lovely sport of horse racing. And you just mentioned August the 1st. 
Uh, for those that don't know, why that is so significant is that that is the horse's birthday. So each and every year, every horse uh, becomes a year older on August 1. And as a result, that's the day the breeding season and the new racing season tick over and, and you go to the next one. So August 1 really is that fresh start. And happy birthday to all the equine animals out there. The breeding industry honestly is massive. And I suppose on LWP so far, like we've primarily focused on racing we also looked into thoroughbred training recently with Natalie Young in one of our episodes. Um, but today we're specifically going to talk about the breeding process and having a broodmare, having a stallion and what the stallion's role is and the actual mating process and then what happens next. So I'm really excited to learn a lot in this episode, Fee. Yeah, that's right, Grace. You know, here at LWP, we aim to educate mm-hmm. our listeners as much as possible. We aren't just a, a punting show like we don't just do form previews we're here to decode the whole sport the whole industry and this is a huge part of it that's if you can understand this in more depth you're going to have a much greater appreciation of what happens on the track so to talk about breeding we have brought in a special guest we did have someone lined up but unfortunately as the breeding season is a very busy and demanding time of year they are a late scratching But we are so fortunate that Grace and I uh, work every day with the perfect emergency. Uh, She works with us at Lindsay Park Racing and she has a really extensive background in the breeding industry. Plus, she's a good friend of ours and friend of the podcast. Yeah, she's pretty much our number one fan. So this is extra special to have our number one fan in studio. In studio, a.k.a. our cardboard box lined (laughs) with... uh, mattress <laughs> foam <laughs> very high tech here on lwp yeah. so we have uh, an emergency guest who's so kindly filled in for us to give us all the ins and outs of the breeding season it is allison murphy let's get into her interview flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now. Well, we are so lucky to be joined by our emergency fill in for ladies who punt today. We have the perfect candidate to fill the spot. 
She sits across from us at Lindsay Park Racing <laughs> and she's a good friend of ours. It's Alison Murphy. Hi, Alison. Hi, guys. Hello, everyone. Alison, although at the moment you are the bloodstock assistant at Lindsay Park Racing, most of your thoroughbred career has been in the stud side of the industry. Can you just give us a run through of how you came into the industry and and what your background is overall? Sure. Um Really, I just started off loving horses, like so many people in the industry do. Um, And then I was lucky enough to go off to Marcus Oldham College after I finished school. Um, And from there, they pop you into um, work experience, which I did at Woodland Stud, which was owned by the Ingham Brothers way back. Um, And that really sparked my interest in breeding and particularly in young stock in foals and and the breeding cycle of the mare. Excellent. And since Woodlands, what else have you gone on to do? A fair bit because I've been in the industry for a while and I'm quite old. (laughs) Um, I... uh, I did some yearling preps just after I was at Woodlands in the Hunter Valley and then I got a scholarship to Ireland to the Irish National Stud where we did a breeding course there and from there I came back to Australia and worked in the Scone Vet Hospital intensive care unit and I travelled back over to Ireland every six months so effectively doing two breeding season per year. Once I came back to Australia for good, I did some yearling preps at Vinery Stud in the Hunter Valley and then headed down to Vinery Victoria and uh, have been in Victoria ever since. Through your time in the industry, you've worked with some pretty incredible horses. Could you just give us a little run through of, of some of the big names and, and who were the standouts with the, of the horses that you've worked with? It's so hard to say. I usually love the underdogs and the, and the you know, from the veterinary perspective and the, and the medical perspective, I love the, the ones who have a struggle through illness and they might not hit dizzy heights in their racing career. But aside from that, in the yearling preps, I think, you know, we were able to prep horses like Exceed and Excel, um, Fatal Attraction, Ikali, Dan Bird. Um, and then later on, when we were at Vinery Victoria, we pre-trained and spelled horses like Flying Artie and Extreme Choice and Harada Sun and Elfstrom. So there's just a few name drops for you. Just a few, goodness. <laughs> Okay, side note, Ali, you're definitely not old. You've just jam-packed so much into your career because you're really bloody good at what you do and those name drops that you've just um, put out there, you know, a lot of our audience will have heard of those horses in the past. But as you say, that's just the cream that rises to the top like there's so much more um, to the horses that you've handled and dealt with throughout your vast career and all the different stages of your career. So on our podcast, Alison, Ladies Who Punt, we've really been focusing on the racing side of things, obviously, um, especially when it comes to um, all things analysis, especially trying to find winners on the racetrack. So this is a whole new kettle of fish for our audience. My first question to you is, how important do you think it is for racing people, so from the racing industry side, be it people that work in the industry or are fans of the industry, how important is it for them to have some sort of an understanding of what the breeding industry is? Because if the racing industry is huge, the breeding industry is just as big, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And in some regards, it's bigger because it's such a worldwide thing um, and it's so dependent on nature. Um, I think it's important for people to understand the work and the research and the effort that goes into matings and ultimately performance on our tracks and what we go to the races to see. It really has a hell of a lot to do with the breeding. Um, and you see champion racehorses and then you see them standing at stud and producing more champion racehorses and perhaps more stallions from that family. It's really interesting to watch those families develop and to watch pedigrees expand and particularly expand across the world in racing. Because I suppose when we see horses winning any race on any given day, you know, that's all well and good or they might be on debut and we think, wow, what a great start to their career. But that is just so far from the truth because, you know, whether they're two-year-olds or three-year-olds or four-year-olds, they have had so much care, love and attention from the minute that they are foaled. Absolutely. Absolutely. At every level and at every stage whether it's at foaling or weanling or yearling prep and then people going to the yearling sales and working out what pedigrees they want to buy into or what their plans are for those yearlings that they buy. It really is a huge journey. So we want to move on to the next really big and broad question, Ali, and it's a tricky one for you to try and answer concisely, so good luck. Can you give us a big picture of the breeding season? So like when does it start and when does it wrap up? And I suppose what are the major parts of the breeding season? Okay, so the breeding season really starts in July when you have your retired race fillies or mares or your dry mares coming into the boxes or into the yards or having their equilooms put on them to try and get them cycling for the breeding season. So you want them set up, ready to go in their reproductive system by the end of July. All horses' birthday is on the 1st of August in the Southern Hemisphere, as we know. So everything turns one on the 1st of, or the next year on the 1st of August. Um, and covering begins on the 1st of September each year. The breeding season really winds down around Christmas time when the shuttle stallions all go home. So you're trying to have all your mares covered and in foal by the time the stallions are going home back to the Northern Hemisphere or to wherever they've come from. So that is the broad rundown. You do have some mares foaling outside of that time, but generally it's the end of the year. For those who may not know, a dry mare is a mare that is currently not pregnant. It might be the first year that she's getting in foal or she may have skipped a year for various reasons. And you talked about uh, getting them cycling. How do we do that? Is there a natural process to this? Um, is it to do with daylight or what? how do we start getting mares cycling? And how do we know that they are cycling? First of all, we want to get them cycling a bit earlier um, than nature would have ordinarily because really because we're trying to squish in the breeding season before the stallions go back to the northern hemisphere and so we can squish it all into a, a shorter period of time. We want to mimic longer daylight hours and we want to stimulate the pituitary gland. 
so that they start cycling. So the reproductive system starts working, basically. Okay, so now that the dry mares are starting to cycle, we've got that part of the breeding season kicked off. Let's talk about foaling. So those mares that got pregnant last season, when does foaling start and how does that all work? When does that finish? Um, And what's the process with foaling? Okay, so gestation is approximately, you can say, 11 months it's 11 to 12 months the mares start foaling I mean you'd like them to foal the 1st of August but they foal sometimes towards the end of July and they foal right through until um, December January depending on when they were covered the process is it varies on different farms but broadly you during the what we call the off season you group the mares into their foaling groups according to dates whether it's by month or just depending on the number of mares that you have and you will gradually work them around the farm to the foaling area where you have lights so you can watch them and monitor them and a series of paddocks and pens so that you can accommodate them in their foaling. So as they get closer, you'll notice a change in the mares. It might be in their attitude. They might produce what look like they're producing milk um, or get a little waxy residue on their teats. And various physical changes occur that indicate to you that something's happening. And they get these gorgeous big bellies on them and sometimes you can see the foals moving around them it's it's beautiful it's beautiful to watch a lot of people wouldn't know Ali but um, you mentioned it with the CCTV footage um, it's a little bit like foal watch big brother when it comes to this time of year isn't it because there's always people watching every single movement of every mare because as soon as something happens it's all hands on deck explain a little bit more about that process yeah it really is Um, we try and keep as close an eye on the mares as possible while still letting them sort of retain their their comfortable place some of them like to almost nest a bit but yeah we have big falling lights we might have cctv that's the cctv comes into play a little bit more in europe but also when you bring the mares into smaller falling yards or in some cases into the stables to fall down but yeah we have staff put on 24 7 to watch the mares and we sometimes have multiple staff on each farm watching mares and then when the mares are showing signs of foaling then we might call up the stud master or the broodmare manager or the foaling manager to assist with the foaling. We do try and let the mares do what they do as naturally as possible but these girls are highly valuable and a foal is a big beast so (laughs) we want to make sure they're okay. Take us through the actual foaling. What are the first signs? You've said that there's changes, but what are the first really obvious signs that the foal's coming in the next half an hour? And how does it work from there? When the mare starts to fold, she'll be getting up and down and pouring and getting up and down and her waters will break. So it's a big gush of water that will come out her back end. And then you will see a white bag, the amniotic sac will come out and within that is the foal and you'll see a leg 
and then you might see a cute little nose mm. and and the mare will go down and start pushing and folding and um, the foal will be encased in the placenta, obviously. Um, so the folding stages will happen where um, you might need to assist the mare to get the foal out. You need to be very much aware of what you're doing when you're falling down a mare. You um, assist her, you never pull the foal out, but you just help her guide the foal out and um, let her experience the foaling, the smell of the foal, introduce the foal to her. Um, and then post-foaling, we have a general one, two, three foaling rule that a lot of farms go by. So in the first hour, hour one, your foal needs to stand and be walking by one hour of age. In hour two, your foal needs to be nursing from mum by the end of hour two. And by the end of hour three, mum should have passed her placenta. So they're some pretty important factors to remember with foaling. Um, there are a lot of other little things within that, little tests that we do, little jobs that we do in foaling to make sure that the mare's comfortable, that the foal's comfortable, and that going forward, the foal is going to have a happy and healthy introduction to life. So we might measure her, the mare's colostrum, and that gives us an indication of antibody levels in the mare's milk so that we can see that the foal is getting the right amount of antibodies through passive transfer in the mare's milk. That's very, very important. It's so much like human birth. Like it's like a full-on maternity ward on a stud farm. There's people, like you said, on 24-7. Most mares will foal at night when it's nice and quiet and calm. And it's such a beautiful process. Like when you introduce that foal to the mare and she knickers and... Oh, it's just so sweet. If you can ever get out to experience a foaling, it is, you know, as long as everything's smooth sailing, it's just such a beautiful experience. It is absolutely wonderful. And you never, ever get sick of seeing it and experiencing it. It's, it's so gorgeous. And um, everybody who works in the foaling units and in the foaling areas and on the stud farms, they just adore these horses and do all they can to ensure they have the best start to life and then that the mare's comfortable and happy. It's, um, it's a really special experience. That's so interesting, Ali. Let's now take a look at the next step in what is important to the breeding season. And firstly, we'll just reiterate the fact that you said, um, you know, the total time frame of gestation is about 11 to 12 months. So once a mare has fold down and now has a foal at foot, what is the next stage for that mare? Like, does she go and get covered by a stallion, you know, within the next few months? What is the process for her to become pregnant again? She absolutely does. She, uh, provided she's had a good foaling and she doesn't have any issues post-foaling, which would all be attended to, um, we hope to get her covered fairly soon after she's foaled. So it, it depends on what time of the season she foals. Um, it's, she has what's called a foal heat around sort of 10 days, which is where she actually comes into season. She starts cycling. She's put up a follicle and she is essentially ready to get pregnant 
at that stage. We often let them ovulate on that follicle and we might what we call short cycle them. So we'll let them ovulate and then we will give them a shot of prostaglandin to bring them back into season and short cycle them. Cut that next cycle short so you don't have to wait all the time until she produces the next follicle. Following that, if we don't, if it's early in the season, we'll just let her come around herself, as we would say. So we'll um, make sure she's recovered fully from foaling and wait until she comes back into season again. And we do that through a process of scanning, which with an ultrasound, and teasing, teasing the mare um, in the vet yards, which is a big deal in the breeding season on stud farms. Okay, so we've got a vet coming in to scan the mares to see if they're cycling. Tell us more about this teasing. As you said, it's a big job. It's a very interesting topic for those who don't know about teasing, but it's such a great way to see if mares are in season and also to help bring them on. Is that correct, Alison? Yep, that's correct. Absolutely. So science can intervene with all sorts of things and we can we can do all sorts of things to help us get these mares pregnant. But essentially nature is the biggest indicator of where they're at, I believe. So teasing is the presence of, um, you could say, an alpha male. <laughs> they certainly think they're an alpha male. And they're, what they are is a small pony. They might only be sort of 13 hands. They're very cute, but full of attitude. A lot of them have got little man syndrome. Um, and they will, they can sense when a mare is in season and they call out and they jump around and they say, here I am, here I am. They're in, in little yards, so they can't bust out towards the mare. And the mare will usually respond to the presence of the male. So she will show signs, physical signs, that she is now ready to receive a male or she is cycling or that she isn't. So if she isn't, she will squeal and kick and put her ears back and say, no, 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 or, or stay well away from the teaser. Whereas if she is coming into season or in season, she'll be close to the teaser or right up against the wall trying to talk to the teaser and doing lots of wee. Um, yeah. It, Showing it really that gets, she's, she's quite receptive to yes, the teaser. precisely, precisely. You do have some younger mares, some maiden mares, which are usually fillies off the track, who will um, be terrified by this. Um, <laughs> they'll, they'll stay well away from the teaser and what on earth is that thing? Um, but eventually they understand that he's harmless and he's, um, he's just uh, checking her out. Yes. So once the mare is showing to the teaser, the teaser's been the real unsung heroes of the breeding season, (laughs) Um, what happens next with her, Alison? So then the stud master, the person in charge of coordinating the mares, the broodmare manager, whatever you want to call him or her, will watch these mares and, and they will know from previous scans, whether it's post-folding scans or the initial scans that you do at the start of the season, what the status of the mare's ovaries and follicles are. So they will use that information along with the number of days that have passed to work out roughly where the mare should be in her cycle. Um, And regardless of how the mare 
is towards the teaser, they will still take the mares, all the mares, to the vet through what we call the crush or the stocks in Europe and take them through and have them follicle tested by the vet. And this occurs on a daily basis um, as the mare is drawing closer, growing a, a bigger follicle or drawing closer to ovulation. Um, and all, all of the recordings, all of the measurements are recorded by the stud master. So um, all the information is compiled and from that they map out roughly where the mare is in her cycle and what the plan is as far as scheduling a cover or a mating to the stallion. Okay, so we now know that the mare is ready to be served. But before we take this next step in explaining the serving process, we need to start talking a little bit about the other side of this mating, which is the stallion, because we've really discussed what happens to a mare in, or, or I suppose the life of a broodmare. But now it's time to really focus in on the stallions themselves. And you mentioned that some of these do shuttle, so they're quite busy. But talk us through what a stallion is in the first place. Like, where do these stallions come from? And what does their life look like, Alison? That's a really interesting question. There are so many stallions that stand at stud for so many reasons. Um, There's highly commercial and highly marketed stallions um, that are pitched for two-year-old racing or there are stallions that might be standing for sentimentality reasons or for pedigree reasons they might have really fabulous pedigrees they mightn't have been so great on the track but their pedigree might be worthy of stud duties so it really depends on the mare the owner of the mare what they plan to do with her whether they want to sell the progeny whether they want to sell the mare in foal what racing they're aiming at and where so it's a really really varied spectrum of stallions that stand at stud and you can pay all sorts of prices for a service fee. So there is a whole world of stallion nominations and breeding farms out there, stallion stations that stand a whole range of stallions for different reasons and for different breeders. It's horses for courses. And I suppose when you take a look at what mares have gone to certain stallions, you'll often see that if um, a mare has gone to a particular stallion and that mating has produced a really good racehorse, that that mare might often go back to that same stallion because I suppose the success rate is high, you know, it, it works. So they go back time and time again. But before then, I suppose it's a little bit trial and error. Like there's so much time and energy and thinking that's put into each and every mating but you sort of don't know until you've tried it is that sort of it absolutely you can just have a guess at a stallion you might like to try your mare with as long as the breeding isn't too close or you can research it or there are people bloodstock agents there are all sorts of pedigree pedigree analysis platforms that you can use to research a mating for your mare it's incredible the amount of work that goes into matings and the depth of knowledge of bloodstock agents and people within the industry stallion owners stud masters it's really amazing what these people know and a lot of it is through years and years of experience and 
We also wanted to know, Alison, what a stallion's life looks like. Once they go to stud, what is life like for them? Well, I think it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) They're so well looked after. I mean, all horses on stud farms are well, are well looked after, but these stallions have their own yard, they have their own stable, they are fed twice a day at least, they're rugged all the time, they're groomed, um, the best pastures you can get, and then for many months of the year they are to and from the breeding barn, which is extremely hard work for a lot of them. Like some stallions are covering for the majority of the year when they're doing dual hemisphere Um, and some of those stallions might be covering you know three or four times a day it just depends on fertility (laughs) it's all monitored closely managed um, for the stallions best interest but those boys work very very hard particularly the dual hemisphere ones Um, it's a big big job for them to shuttle to both hemispheres to shuttle at all the travel the quarantine, everything. Um, they're creatures of habit. They love their little space. So you're taking them out of one space into another. And um, so they have to be very, very well managed and cared for. As you say, they're treated so well, like kings, really. Most The, the picture that I'm getting is a little bit like a prima donna. <laughs> Absolutely, Grace. You nailed it there. You nailed it. The teasers do all the hard work yeah. and then the big boys just stroll on in. Uh, <laughs> you can see the look of disappointment on the teasers' faces every day, but they keep going and going. Tell me about the staff that work with the stallions, Alison, because, you know, each stallion has their quirks, their, their certain personalities. They expect to be treated the way they want to be treated and then don't all expect to be treated the same way. They like different things. How does it work? Is anyone on the stud able to work with these stallions or is it a more personal relationship with with their, with their the staff that work with them? All of the stallions are different, but uh, I think to be a stallion handler, um, you really develop a close relationship with the horse. You know all of their quirks. You work with them. You don't work against them and... You don't want them to work against you. So these stallion handlers know the horses intimately. They know the way to move around them. They know where you should be standing to put the head collar on, where you should be standing when you're in the shed, um, where they like you to be in their paddock, whether to go into their paddock or to wait for them to come to you. They're amazing, these guys and girls who look after these horses. It's really incredible. And the stallions, like... They're big, strong animals. They're not just racehorses anymore. They're huge, big animals. Um, and they know what they want. And um, they can be a real handful. So absolute credit to stallion handlers on the farms. It's, it's incredible what they do. Okay, so we've got our stallion and we've got our broodmare. So let's now talk about the covering itself. How many people are needed actually physically to be there to assist the whole process and what are their roles okay so there's a lot of husbandry that goes into this and it depends on the mare it depends on the stallion has the mare got a foal at foot is the foal with the mare Um, there's a lot of things I won't go into too much detail basically you need your stallion handler 
You need somebody to hold the mare at her head. You need somebody to assist putting on uh, boots on the mare, so little boots that go on her feet to just in case she might kick out at the stallion. You need somebody to hold the mare's tail and, uh, and you'll need at least one other person around supervising. So um, there's a few people that, that work in that shed all day, every day. Because the, the interesting thing about thoroughbred breeding is that it's not like most other breeding industries with, with animals where artificial insemination is really, you know, the way, to, the way people go. Like I'm thinking of like the trotting industry. Mm-hmm. They all use artificial insemination. In uh, thoroughbreds, that's actually illegal. You're not allowed to artificially inseminate uh, a mare. So the, the stallion physically has to do every single covering. As you say, it's a huge job for them. And it also means that there's horses moving all around the country visiting different farms and different stallions and things like that. What is the energy like in a serving barn? Because it sounds like quite a high-pressure situation. You've got two very big animals that are pumped up with their, you know, reproductive hormones. What What is it like in there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it is potentially high-pressure, but these operations are well-oiled machines, so the people that work in the stallion barn and in the covering sheds know precisely what their role is and how to interact with the horses and with the people around them to keep everybody safe and everybody calm because the last thing you want is an upset stallion, an upset mare or even an upset handler. Everybody does a fabulous job and really knows their stuff. You wouldn't have a beginner in there by any means. Um, the people who who work in those sheds have had a hell of a lot of experience. Okay, so now the mare's been covered and that part's all done. Is that it? Does she just go out to the paddock and grow out her pregnancy? Like, how does it go from there? So first of all, we need to monitor that she's ovulated within the appropriate time frame post-cover. Following that, we want to check the pregnancy throughout her gestation so pretty much we scan for ovulation and then we'll scan we'll do an early scan um, around the 10 to 15 day mark we might do a couple of scans within that and what we're looking for there is twins because we don't want mares to have twins they don't carry twins well at all Um, then we have a mid scan around 30 days And then we have what's often called the final scan or the 45-day scan. Following that, we might do a scan later on in the season, a late pregnancy scan, just to make sure everything's going all right, Um, just to closely monitor the pregnancy to make sure there's no problems. The final process, I guess, in terms of the stallion, the mare and the foal and, and getting pregnant again is then weaning the foal who was born back in August. When does this take place? And, and what, can you just explain to us what is weaning? It's a process with two parts, I guess. It's a process of physically taking the foal from the mare. Um, but we also lead up to that. We handle the foal while 
it's on the mare, so it gets used to humans and gets used to being independent. They naturally become quite independent of their mothers, um, but we want them to be confident with humans as well. So as the foals grow, they while they're on their mums, we will handle them right up to six, eight months. And around that time, we will begin weaning. There are all sorts of methods of weaning. I won't go into that, but it's, um, it's a gradual process where the mare and the foal are separated and the foals then go off into their own groups and grow into one-year-old yearlings. The weaning process is basically the last step in terms of the brood mare. From there, she goes on to grow out that current pregnancy and then will fall down again from August onwards, get covered by salient, et cetera, et cetera. Can you just highlight to our listeners, Alison, just how long a process it is from having a brood mare, deciding the mating, which stallion she's going to visit, basically, to when the the progeny of that mating will start to race. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it depends on what the the broodmare owner wants to do or the, the, the foal owner wants to do. But that's all mapped out in selecting the stallion, whether you want a commercial stallion to if you want to sell the progeny on as foals or as yearlings or as two-year-olds. But really, your mating... You won't see the fruits of it until at least two, until the foal's at least two, and maybe later. It's a really, really long process, and all sorts of things can happen along the way, but it's wonderful to see it come to fruition for people. And it's a plan they have in place, and there are so many forks in the road and so many changes, and uh, it's a real journey, and I think that's what keeps people passionate about breeding and racing and you really can't have one without the other can you you've got to um, plan with your stallions and that's what hit the hits the track a few years later okay Alison our last question that I have for you is a listener question from Tara she asks do breeders get a portion of the prize money from a horse they've bred yeah they actually do Provided they are nominated for one of the various um, incentive schemes that are offered in Australia. Um, there's generally uh, one for each of the major states on the eastern seaboard. So Queensland has Cutis, I think it's called. Um, New South Wales has Bobs. And Victoria has a fabulous Vobus incentive scheme and each of them have little subcategories where you can nominate your horse for even more prize money um, should they win certain races. There's eligibility criteria for each of the schemes. Um, in Victoria, it is, and they're across the board, they're based on where the stallion stands, um, although Vobus do have a scheme where it's based on where the mare resides. So it's really interesting to to look into that and to look it up online, search Phobus. And the prize money is fabulous. The bonuses that you get through these schemes, it's really, really worthwhile. If the breeder sells the horse at a yearling sale, are they still eligible for some of that bonus or is it the owners of the horse once it's racing? 
there is a breeder. I speak mostly for Vobis, but there is breeder bonuses. Um, and then going forward, there are ownership bonuses. Thanks so much for explaining that to us, Alison. We often hear at the races that this is a Vobis race or a Vobis gold race. So it's great to understand what that all means. Well, that has been a really fascinating synopsis of what is the breeding world, Alison. Thank you so much. You are the best first emergency special guest we've ever had. Um, so you must, we must congratulate you for that. But uh, honestly, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time and most importantly for your expertise and also being able to break down what is a really tricky uh, subject in a way that our audience can easily understand. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love your podcast. How lucky are we to know someone who has so much experience and passion in the breeding industry, Grace? Oh, it's actually amazing. Um, we could just pick her brain all day, every day. And you know what? We can do that given that we work with her 24-7. So, no, we are so honoured to be able to have someone um, with the experience and the knowledge that Alison does have to be a part of our show. Now, looking forward to next week, we have another feature episode. So this week we discussed breeding and the breeding industry we are going to do an episode all about spring racing and how the spring carnival plays out. Really excited for that one, but it's time to wrap this episode up. It's been a really great one with our special guest, Alison Murphy. Catch you guys next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.